Okay, let's just start with maybe uh, a quick quiz. What is the book of Philippians? Is it a poem? Go on, just shout it out. A letter, that's right. And who wrote that letter? The Apostle Paul. It's so important we put his title in. The book of Philippians isn't just written by another human being. It's written by the Apostle Paul. So apostle means sent one or messenger. And the Apostle Paul was Christ's apostle. So it's Jesus speaking to us through the Apostle Paul. Isn't that amazing? So who did the Apostle Paul write this letter to? Who did he write the book of Philippians to? Go on. Yeah, the church at Philippi, a local church at Philippi, a community of people who follow Jesus, a community of people who are members of Christ, who have elders, who have deacons. It's a well-established church, isn't it? And if we are members of Christ's body, if we belong to a local church, then we can understand this letter and we can live it out, can't we? Isn't that exciting? And the Apostle Paul probably wrote this letter in the year 62 AD, maybe 32 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And remember, God used the Apostle Paul to plant this church in Philippi, and we've read about that in Acts chapter 16, haven't we? Can you remember some of the members of the church at Philippi from Acts chapter 16? A rich businesswoman called Lydia, and you also had a Philippian jailer, a girl who used to be demon-possessed, who used to be a slave girl. It's a very colorful church, this local church at Philippi. So where was Paul writing this letter from? Yes? Yeah, from prison, a prison in Rome. So was that a disaster? It's not good, is it, to be in prison? But was it a disaster that the Apostle Paul was in prison? Go on. Yeah, he was there for the Lord. And he was able to do the Lord's work even in prison. He was able to write this epistle. And also, when we read verse 22, what do we read? What do we read there? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 22. Maybe verse 21 and 22, actually. What do we read there? Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus, the brothers and sisters who are with me here in prison, send greetings. All God's people here in prison with me in Rome send you greetings. Isn't that amazing? So the Apostle Paul probably was used by Jesus to lead other people to him. He started a church in a prison in Rome, the Roman Empire. Now, what year did we think the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the local church of Philippi? 62. Now, who was the emperor, the Roman emperor? Who was Caesar then? Oh, I'd be impressed if you know. Julius Caesar, that's a very good guess. But it wasn't. It was uh, someone called Nero, apparently. Now, he was a nasty piece of... He was a madman. He, do you know, he murdered his own mother. You've got to be a piece of work to do that, haven't you? 
He murdered his own mother, and he tortured and executed many, many Christians. Apparently, he gave the order for the Apostle Peter to be crucified upside down. And what he used to do, he used to put the skin of wild beasts on Christians, and then wild dogs would sort of tear them apart. And he would also use Christians as candles for his garden. So in the night, if he wanted to go for a walk in his garden, he'd say, go on, light some Christians up for me to light the garden up. He's real psychopath Nero. And apparently, he eventually killed the Apostle Paul, well, had the Apostle Paul's head chopped off. But what do we, this is an amazing verse. I love this little detail. What do we read in verse 22? All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that verse always makes me chuckle. There was a church in Nero's basement that he didn't know about. This absolute psychopath who hated Christians. Oh, by the way, there's a church in your house that you know nothing about, probably. So there must have been people serving breakfast to Nero, but they were serving an even greater king, weren't they? They were serving King Jesus. Nero, now he's just a coffee shop, isn't he? Or, or cat food, isn't he? Caesar, the cat food, isn't he? So Paul was in a prison in Rome. In a prison in Rome. Now, the Romans didn't use prison to punish people. You'd basically be in prison, sort of waiting to go on trial. And you could be waiting for a really long time. And if you were tried guilty, the Romans apparently would punish you in one of four ways. Either a huge fine, you'd get flogged, You'd get sort of exiled, sort of sent to an island on your own, where you'd have to stay and die. Or fourthly, you'd be executed. Now, prisons back then were very different to prisons today. Now, in prison today, you might be able to do sort of um, go to the gym. You'd be able to um, have meals cooked for you. I think there's Sky TV even in some prisons. Now, prisons in Rome 2,000 years ago was nothing like that. A lot of people would just sort of die in prison if nobody brought them food. So no food was served to you in prison 2,000 years ago in Rome, and nobody would sort of clean your clothes for you. You'd have to wear the same dirty clothes. You wouldn't be able to have a bath or anything. So you can imagine the hygiene conditions, really bad. And you'd maybe starve to death as well. Now, it seems as if the local church in Philippi were able to provide the Apostle Paul with some food, with some money and food. And I think we see that in verse 10, don't we? Do we read there? Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. The Apostle Paul, writing to the local church at Philippi, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last... You renewed your concern for me. Now, I don't know about you, but I just love the way the Apostle Paul writes. He's so gracious, isn't he? He's so loving, and he's so selfless. Because what do we read then? Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, 
You were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I just love the Apostle Paul's heart there. He's thinking the best of this local church at Philippi. So maybe the Apostle Paul hasn't heard from this local church in Philippi for a long time. Maybe they haven't sent him any money or food for a long time. And the Apostle Paul could have thought like this, couldn't he? Oh, this local church of Philippi, I planted the church there. I've been really good to them. I haven't heard from them for ages. I haven't had any money from them. I haven't had any food from them. They don't care, do they? They're not concerned. But the Apostle Paul isn't like that, is he? He's saying, oh, I haven't heard from the church of Philippi for ages. I haven't received any gifts from them for ages. There's probably a good reason for that. I know that they are concerned. Do you think that's a lesson for us on being gracious? It was a lesson for me. It was a real challenging lesson for me. Just to think the best of people all the time. So if they don't do something that I expect them to do, instead of saying, oh, why hasn't that idiot done that? Or why has that idiot done that? Instead, I should think, oh, that person's a brother and sister in Christ. I'm just going to think the best of them. There's a very good reason why they haven't done it. Or there's a very good reason why they are doing this. It's just, don't be nasty, isn't it? Just be gracious and kind and patient, isn't it? Just like the Apostle Paul, who was imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to learn lessons from Paul here. Don't become bitter don't become critical, because that's what happens then. If someone doesn't do something we expected them to do, or if someone is doing something that we don't expect them to do, we can easily become sort of bitter and critical. No, just think the best of people all the time. The Apostle Paul is doing this, isn't he? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Amazing what the Apostle Paul is like by the grace of God, isn't it? But then look at verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Again, the Apostle Paul being so selfless here, isn't it? He's saying, oh, look, please don't worry about me. He knew that this local church in Philippi were probably worried about him. Oh, the Apostle Paul's in prison in Rome where Nero is. And he said, oh, don't worry about me. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Look, I'm not fishing for more gifts off you. An amazing example of the Apostle Paul just being gracious and selfless. And I think there's another example in verse 21 of how sort of gracious and loving the Apostle Paul is. What do we read in verse 21 at the end of the chapter? Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I think that is so countercultural for the church today. It's like only stick with people who believe exactly everything the same as you. Only greet those who wear ties or something, isn't it? The Apostle Paul is saying, greet Christians no matter what they are and no matter where they are. So if someone sort of if we meet someone who says, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe Jesus is God. I trust in Jesus. I love Jesus. I love his church. I've repented of my sins, and I keep on trying to repent and trust in Jesus. 
Sometimes our next reaction is, okay, you look like a Christian, you smell like a Christian, but what sort of Christian are you? Isn't it? What do you believe about the second coming? Do you believe the five points of Calvinism? Who, what, what sort of sermons do you listen to? What's your church actually like, isn't it? But we don't need to be like that. We don't need to be sort of suspicious, do we? If someone says, yeah, I trust in Jesus, I repent, I love Jesus' church, his body, ah, yeah, you're one of us, isn't it? We can greet them, greet all God's people, isn't it? And then there's some further proof then that the church at Philippi sent supplies for Paul in prison. And we see that in verse 14, don't we, onwards. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 onwards, some further proof that the local church at Philippi were supplying the Apostle Paul's needs. What do we read there? Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, and apparently he was only there for a month, even when I was in Thessalonica for a month, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Again, what's the Apostle Paul doing there? He's being absolutely selfless, isn't he? He's saying, I'm not fishing for more gifts. Actually, when you do give me gifts, I'd rather you be blessed more than I am. I'm only asking you to maybe give me gifts, not to supply my needs, but so you can be even more blessed. Isn't that incredible? I just want you to know the blessings that come from giving. And what do we read then in verse 18? I have received full payment and more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. So I think the Apostle Paul there is telling the local church at Philippi, look, I've got enough, but tell you what, you can still actually give even though that I've got enough. Don't just give when there's a need. And that's so true, isn't it? We don't give just because there's a need. We give because it's an act of worship. Giving is a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God, isn't it? Now, um, for the members, I think uh, the accounts are going to be sent out soon. Maybe, are they? And maybe when we read the church accounts, we might think, oh, the church have got plenty of money in the bank. I don't need to give to this church anymore. Well, we don't give to the church only when the church is poor, do we? (laughs) Even if we had millions in the bank, we'd still give, wouldn't we? Because we're not just giving to a need, we're giving as an act of worship to God, isn't it? We don't just give when the church is poor, we give as an act of worship to God. 
And then when we do give sacrificially, because sometimes it is a sacrifice to give, isn't it? Sometimes they go, oh, if this month, if we're going to give, we'll have to go without this, that, and the other. What's the promise in verse 19? When we do give sacrificially, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul is telling this local church of Philippi, I know you've sacrificed a lot for me in being so generous in your giving, but tell you what, God will meet all your needs. It's our verse for 2019, isn't it? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. When you put the kingdom first, what will happen? Then all these things will be given to you as well. But what do we read then in verse 20? Philippians chapter 4, verse 20. To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Again, maybe coming back to uh, our church accounts that might be published, maybe we could look at the church accounts and think, oh, aren't we doing well as a church? Look, we're giving um, to uh, Mary Hill Evangelical Church. We're giving to Caring for Life. We're giving to... Um, Am I allowed to mention their name publicly? Yeah, Brixies, yeah. We won't mention publicly the work they do. <laughs> but, yeah, we're giving to those people. Aren't we, aren't we being generous as a church? Look how much money's coming. But what should our response be whenever we give? Because really, this sort of section, chapter 10, sorry, chapter 4, verse 10 to 23, a lot of it is about giving, isn't it? Verse 20, to God to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So any generosity that comes out of us is to God's glory alone, isn't it? To God alone be the glory. So Paul was in prison, and the church at Philippi were sort of looking after him, weren't they? So what we really want to get at, really, I think, is verse 11, isn't it? And 12. What do we read there? Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm not just saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, they are glorious verses, aren't they? They're also very challenging verses, and we're all like, how? How can we do that? Now, the Apostle Paul very often was in sort of circumstances and situation where most people would rather not be. Can you think of some of the circumstances and situations the Apostle Paul was in sometimes, and you'd be like, how... I wouldn't like to go through that. Should we just have a look at um, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 27, where the Apostle Paul gives quite an extensive list of some of the circumstances and situations he's been through. I've worked much harder, 
been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. (laughs) There's some tough circumstances, tough situations. And then the Apostle Paul kind of has the cheek to say, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. You feel like, Paul, do you know what you've been through? <laughs> you know, we've read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. We know what you've been through. Are you seriously telling us that you were content in any and every situation and circumstance. Well, here's a question for us this evening. Are you in a circumstance or situation that you'd rather not be at the moment? Maybe let's pause and think about that. Are you in a situation or a circumstance that you'd rather not be at the moment? Now, I don't think many of us are going through some of the stuff the Apostle Paul went through. But we're all in circumstances and situations we'd rather not be. Let's be honest. All of us are in some sort of circumstance or situation that we'd rather not be in. If we're honest, I think all of us would probably say, sometimes I wish some things were different in my life. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought... I wish my life could be different in some areas. Have you ever said, I wish I had more money? Some people say, I wish I had less money. I think most people say, I wish I had more money. I wish I had a different job. I wish I lived somewhere different. I wish I had a different body, some people say, isn't it? Some people say, I wish I had better health. I wish I had better friends or a better family. That's quite an intense one, isn't it? But as Christians, even if we're the weakest Christian and we're in sort of circumstances and situations that we'd rather not be in, we still say, don't we, well, this is the circumstances I'm in, this is the situation I'm in, and there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I can't get more money, I can't change my job, I can't change where I live, I can't change my body, I can't have different friends, I can't have a different family, I can't have better health. This is the situation and the circumstances I'm in. As a Christian, what I need to do now is to learn to be content whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation. And it's like, yeah, obviously, but how? How? 
And why is it called a secret? The secret of being content. I think it's called a secret. Well, apparently the original is mystery. I've learned the mystery. Well, why is it called a secret or a mystery? Well, because not many people have it, do they? (laughs) How many people do you know who are content all the time? Don't know many, do we? (laughs) We're content in every and any circumstance and situation. So it's kind of, well, are you going to answer the question, isn't it? Are you going to answer the question, Dav? How can we become content in any and every situation? Well, what does the Apostle Paul say? I have learnt, isn't it? Verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. We have to learn. It's a process, isn't it? We have to learn to be content. But then the question is, well, how do we learn it? Well, the answer is in verse 9, isn't it? Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Have we got that? Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that so exciting? I've often wondered, well, how do you learn how to be content? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 9, doesn't he? We learn it from Christ's apostle, who was imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to be content in every circumstance and every situation, don't you? So the answer is, we need to learn from the apostle Paul. So how did the apostle Paul live his life? How did the apostle Paul live his life? Well, first and foremost, he was obsessed by Jesus, wasn't he? He was obsessed by Jesus. What do we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The apostle Paul lived for one thing and one thing only. He lived for Jesus. He was obsessed about Jesus and his gospel. What do we read then in chapter 3? This is 7 to 11. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The Apostle Paul is obsessed by Jesus and the good news about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul was also obsessed by Jesus' church, wasn't he? When you read the book of Philippians, you can't but think, oh, this guy really loves the local church. What do we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3? I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Again, he was a praying man. That's a habit we can pick up from the Apostle Paul. 
But what do we read then in verses 7 and 8 of Philippians chapter 1? I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then the last one then, Philippians 4 verse 1. We saw it last week, didn't we? Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. So if we want to know contentment, we have to start by being obsessed by Jesus, obsessed by the good news about Jesus, and obsessed by his body, which is the church, isn't it? The most... The people who are most uh, discontent, I've noticed in my sort of 25 years being a Christian, are the people whose commitment is the worst for the local church. Do you find that? Like, oh, you know, I, I hate this about my life, that about my life. I said, how often do you come to church? Oh, maybe once a week on a Sunday morning. I'm not surprised that you're not content, isn't it? Look, you need to become like the Apostle Paul, isn't it? You need to sort of want to be there as often as you can. I know it's physically impossible sometimes for us to be here. So when did you come to a prayer meeting last? Oh, years. I'm not surprised that you're discontent. And the last one, the Apostle Paul was obsessed with heaven, wasn't he? He was obsessed with heaven, the second coming, we thought about that this morning, and the new creation. Philippians 3, verses 20, 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So there we have it. If we want to be content, what do we have to be? Obsessed by Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus, obsessed by Jesus' body, which is the church, and obsessed with heaven, being heavenly-minded, fixing our eyes on Jesus and his second coming, eagerly awaiting the return of Christ, fixing our eyes on the new creation, isn't it? Our resurrection, but then, well, this is the Apostle Paul. How can I be like the Apostle Paul? Yeah, I want to be obsessed with Jesus, the gospel, church, heaven, the second coming, and the resurrection. Well, look, look what we read in verse 13, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Isn't that amazing? That is the key, isn't it? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Every morning we should cry out, Jesus, give me strength today to be obsessed by you, your gospel, your church, heaven, the second coming, the resurrection. Give me strength. Empower me by your spirit, isn't it? Give me strength to be content today, isn't it? In any and every circumstance and situation. And also, how the book starts and ends. 
Last key, isn't it? How does the, the epistle to the Philippians start and end? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, what is grace? It's a word we use a lot, isn't it? Like some people sort of describe it as God's unmerited favor, God's undeserved kindness. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? I think the best way to describe grace is help, isn't it? God's help. That's how Hebrews kind of describes grace, isn't it? To find help in your time of need. So every morning we should pray, Jesus, give me your strength today to be content and give me grace to be content and to be gracious, to be loving and patient and kind, isn't it? But then again, we can also sort of turn back, but that was the Apostle Paul. I can't even cry out to Jesus for strength and grace at the moment to be content in every and any circumstance and situation. This was the Apostle Paul. Can you show me another human being? Well, I'd like to introduce you to um, another Paul. We're going to play a video of him. This is the most content man I've ever met in my life. He's actually in heaven right now, but this was uh, an interview that was recorded uh, not long before he went to heaven. So this is Paul Perkin. So he was a fellow member with Han and myself in Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Swansea, and I also served with him as a deacon. So he's the most content man I've ever lived. But listen to some of the stuff he says, and then you'll be thinking, oh, yeah, he's just like the Apostle Paul. He's copying the Apostle Paul just like the Apostle Paul was copying Jesus. So maybe listen carefully to some of the things that he says that helps him to get through every day, to be content in his circumstances and his situation. So this is Paul, and just to give you a bit of background, he was fairly newly married, and he had a little toddler called Boaz. So you might hear him say Joe, that was the name of his wife, and Boaz was the name of his little boy. So here are some lessons from an ordinary human being, just like me and you. Yeah, how do you face each day now, Paul, as eternity looms, as you just face mm. your, your future? How, how, how are you in that? Well, it's interesting because obviously, you know, when you're sat in a world of work and you've got your daily routine, it's a little bit different to knowing that God has effectively given you a little bit of prior warning that the end is coming quite soon. We don't quite know that. It's coming quite soon, certainly within the year. Um, which, you know, is, is definitely a different context. But I think I think it's true of the whole Christian life that it's more or less the same day today. You get up in the morning and you say, Lord, thank you for a good sleep or whatever, or help me today. You have your breakfast, you're pondering maybe a couple of verses or something. Get on the bike and go to work and you either listen to a sermon or pray about work or you pray about your discipleship group or you, you, know, you listen to the Bible read or something. You get to work, you go through your day and you're like, oh, Lord, I need help with this. Oh, I can't cope with this, Lord, you're going to have to get me through this. And you get home and you're like, oh, Lord, it's so good to be back home. And you know, that's kind of how your day goes as a Christian. Mm. I'm now faced with dying quite soon. I get up in the morning, I'm like, oh, Lord, I need today. And you sort of have breakfast, you're like, oh, Lord, I really pray you help Joe with Boaz today. And then you sort of go about, and you're like, oh, Lord, I need some energy today. Some guys are coming down. And they come down, and you're like, oh, Lord, that was so good to see people. Thank you. you know, so in a sense... Every day is the same in that sense. The way that you treat it as a Christian, the context changes massively. But the way you approach each day as a Christian is exactly the same. 
Mm. You trust in the same Saviour. He gives you the same sort of help depending on what you need, help grace for the day. You rely on Him whether you're going to work, whether you're facing your death, whether you're, you know, whatever it is. Mm. It's not so much that the focus is on dying, or the focus is on my current health issues, or the focus is on pain. The focus is on Lord, I need help. Whatever may come, which is exactly the same as a Christian. And I think that's the the incredible thing about the Christian life is it doesn't matter what God throws in your path, what things he tests you with, what things he refines you with, what things Satan tempts you with. <coughs> the way you face all those things is exactly the same. Cast your cares on Jesus. So yeah, so it's, it's been amazing to be honest because, you know, you almost think, oh my word, I've been told I'm going to die, it's going to be awful, oh my word, what's going on? And you actually, it's the same peace that you know in troubles, it's the same peace when God answers you in the when you're struggling with the kids or something and you pray and someone turns up or whatever and you know all of a sudden that stress goes exactly the same it's you know it's such an incredible thing that you go on as a Christian the same way you came in you cry out to Jesus for help and you're faced with your death and you cry out for Jesus for help it's exactly the same you know and he gives you the help in whatever time you need you know when sometimes when you're on holiday you don't need much help because you're enjoying life and God has given you that time apart to to chill and all that sort of stuff, but I'm still with you. I'm still helping you to enjoy it, and you enjoy it more as a Christian than you ever did when you weren't. And some days you need a lot of grace, and you cry out to him, and you're really struggling, and he gives you the grace that you need. But it's the same thing. It's not like you have to become some super Christian to cope with death. It's not like you have to become some, you know, some I don't know, Power Ranger, godly man to be able to cope with having four kids or whatever it is. There's nothing of the sort. It's just, you just trust in the same thing. To enjoy, I spent more time with my family than I have ever. I'm not in work. I'm, as I said, I'm retired early on ill health and it's marked. Because um, I spent time with Barry, I spent time with Joe, I spent time with parents, and it's, it's a very precious time in that sense. Mm. But, you know, don't think that when you face trials, it's joyous. When you face trials, it's one of the most incredible times of your life. And I can say that having been through probably one of the biggest trials, I suppose. It is genuinely incredible. I've got focuses the mind on what actually matters. And it's liberating, I think, as you see the sin is a complete waste of time when, when it, you know, when push comes to shove and you're faced with, you know, your own head. What is, why on earth do you want to even think about sin? Why on earth are you getting stressed about what you're going to eat? There's so much more to life than that. And it's, yeah, so don't be afraid of suffering. God uses it for incredible. Did you pick up on some of the things he did 
when he gets up in the morning, what does he do? Ponder over God's word, cries out to Jesus for help, gets on his bike, listens to the Bible, or listens to a sermon, cries out for help, prays for his church, his discipleship group. I often have to watch that video whenever I'm discontent, when I'm not content in my circumstances and situations. I think, no, I need to watch that video with Paul. (laughs) Paul Perkin again. Dav, come on. (laughs) You're not going through cancer. You're not going to leave your wife and children. Look how happy and content Paul was going through chemotherapy, dying. How did he do it? Oh, yeah. Ask Jesus for help. Ask Jesus for strength. And I'm getting stressed about nonsense, isn't it? Come on. 